And Father, help us get this job done. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening, everyone. And welcome to Word and Spirit, our midweek service. I have divine revelation tonight that all of you are going to make heaven because you come to church on Tuesday night. Divine revelation. I can almost put my hand in the Bible and swear that you all are going to heaven coming out on a Tuesday night. Now, I can't make that assumption for those of you watching online. So uh, you missed out. So if we go up and you don't go up, you missed Tuesday night. You you know I'm just joking, kidding. But, uh, you know, the Bible does say this. As not to, to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you notice in what context that was in so much the more as you see the day approaching. How I many you know as we come closer to the day of Jesus, going to church ought to be more important, not less important. So, uh, you know, we see that in the world, but thank God we're, we're going to get this job done. The end time revival will be here. People will be right with God and Jesus will come and the harvest will be one and you just stick around. And you get to see it all, because I believe it's going to be in our generation. Amen. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump right in. This semester, we have chosen for our topic of study, matters of eternity and security. We are looking at Bible doctrines, Bible teachings that pertain to whether we go to heaven or not. What keeps us from heaven? Can a Christian you know, fall away from grace, all these wonderful, wonderful things that are in the Bible. We've chosen for a golden text, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, where the Word of God says, study to show yourself approved unto God. And there's three things that we must do with the Word of God. Of course, number one, we need to read the Bible. I liken to reading to the milk of the Word. Uh, and it's when you read the Bible, you give the Holy Spirit something to call into your remembrance. You know, that's part of the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Everything Jesus said, everything the Father said, he'll bring into remembrance. Well, if you don't put anything in, there's nothing he can draw out. And so I, I tell my mentoring class, I haven't told them in a while, I need to get back to it. Read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. I do this over and over and over again and so we ought to know our bibles and and at least get a gist of where scriptures can be found and of course number two we need to meditate in the word meditate will cause you to grow spiritually brother hagan said it's almost impossible to gain spiritual wisdom without meditation that the greatest um men and women of god he knew the the most mature and most spiritual were people that gave time to meditation so we need to read we need to meditate, but also we need to study the Word of God. Now, why study? To know what it says and what it means. You can read the Bible and have no idea what you just read. You can actually meditate and grow spiritually and not understand the Bible. I mean, there's a whole lot of folks that, you know, when it comes to understanding the Bible, they just don't know very much. And so that's why we need all three. And why do we need to study? That we show ourselves approved in God, a workman that need not to be ashamed. You know what ashamed is? If someone asks you uh, or approaches you and they believe something weird or goofy and you don't know what to say. You don't know what scriptures uh, can, you know, conf- 
confront that. Uh, you, you can't with meekness instruct those who oppose themselves. That, that's being ashamed. And so you ought to be skilled and equipped. And if someone says this is what this verse means and you know it doesn't mean that, then you're able to teach them and, and help them. And so that belongs to all of us. And so read, meditate, and study. And so we are studying together matters of eternity, matters of security. Uh, and these things are important because it, it has to do whether we go to heaven or not, uh, eternal destination, you know, uh, and, you know, things like this. Everyone that comes and prays a pretty prayer at the altar, do they go to heaven? Now, a lot of people believe that if they answer an altar call and they pray a prayer, that they go to heaven. And we're reminded of Brother Hagen. He went to a Baptist church. Baptists are big on teaching on salvation. He answered an altar call. He prayed a prayer, but he died. And guess what? He went to hell praying a prayer at the altar because it's not praying a prayer that gets you born again. Buddhist monks, Tibetan monks, they, they pray and pray and pray, but that, that don't make them born again. What does the Bible says? If you believe in your heart. See, salvation is something in your heart. It's when you pray out of your heart and you believe something, then you're born again. And it's so, so important because if you believe other than what the Bible says, you're deceived. How, how would you like to go to church and believe you're going to heaven and then when you die you went to hell? I mean, that, that's devastating. And so we're looking at stuff like this and just seeing what the Word of God says. So we, we looked at predestination. We looked at uh, Calvinism and, and how some of that beliefs is still here today. Like, you know, if you want to get me irked, say God is in control. Man, that I will overturn the money changers tables and drive out those in, in the temple. Well, Let's qualify that, you know, when people say God in control, they, they just kind of give God a Hail Mary that everything happens as God's doing. No, Satan is the God of this world. Most, most of what's going on in the world, it's, it's Satan's doing. Now, on the balance of it, God is in control when you have faith in him. When you cast your cares upon him, when you believe him, then you actually give God a right to handle your situation. But just to say God's in control and just flip a Hail Mary to him, now that you, you, just, you just threw it into Satan's you know, team, you know, doing that type of thing. So again, these things are so very important because we want to walk skillfully and accurately. We looked at eternal security. Is once saved, always saved. First of all, we, we had to identify what true salvation is. And, uh, and can we lose our salvation? Yes. Mouth or two or three witnesses. We saw four or five times in the New Testament where the Bible says you can lose your salvation. Now, it's not something real easy like the Pentecostal holiness would tell you that, man, if, if you just didn't read your Bible that morning, I mean, you're doom gloom and agony on you and so uh but when we get born again and we love the lord and we're endeavoring to do our best we are eternally secure we ought not to be tormented by satan thinking that man you're just not going to make it because we're saved by grace not of works then we looked at blaspheming the holy ghost and we saw that it's a sin a christian cannot commit but we did see the sin that a christian can commit can commit which is what we would call our unpardonable sin or the sin unto death 
And we did it right here at Family Church. We told you, we taught you the steps you can take to go to hell as a Christian. And, and to, to backslide in such a way that God will not receive you back. Yes, we did it here at Family Church. So you can go out, and now you can go back on Twitter now and start tweeting good things. So praise the Lord. <laughs> a little political fun there. All right. Uh, then we took several weeks, and I, I, I think it's so important to look at backsliding and how God views backsliding, how God deals with a backslider because it's so important because we we all know backsliders and and maybe someone dies in a backslidden state and you wonder man did they, they get to heaven or not and we saw the goodness of God that God will help them God will bless them and God will give them a space to repent but if they don't then then God has a, uh, a backup plan, a uh, fail-safe, we called it, that uh, if they don't judge themselves, God will judge them. That way, ju uh, their sin will be judged in the flesh, and that way they won't be condemned with the world. And we looked at scriptures concerning that. Then this brought us to another wonderful, cheery subject. And we started last week, no, actually, two weeks, three weeks ago, on the uh, topic of judgment Wow. Now, why are we talking about judgment? Well, it does pertain to matters of eternity and security. And number two, it is in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, guess what? We ought to study it and know what it's all about. Like I said before, I liken it to a, a test. Uh, at, you know, in school, if you didn't know there's a test, you're, you're unprepared for it. But if you know a test is coming, you study, you're ready for it, you can actually approach that test in confidence. And so my job, you know, I was caught up to heaven, March 26, 2060, he said, get ready. So I knew that uh, he, he is telling me not only to get myself ready, but to, to get the church ready, that he is coming soon. And so these things do pertain to that, you know, and so... Uh, you know, we, we will stand before the Lord and we will give account. And so we want to be right uh, and when he comes. And so judgments, and we, we began with this, just a quick review, if there's such a thing under my preaching. Now, when I say quick and short, I use God's standard of quick and short, not human standard. See, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So, so in heaven, it does qualify. In earth, it may be questionable. Um, three judgments. And we're going to start with believers. Then we'll eventually get to unbelievers and, and get to the judgment of demons and the devil and the, the end time judgments. But we started looking at three judgments that every believer will face. Yes, if you are a believer, there are three judgments you will face. Randy Grew is here, and he used the text, judgment must first begin in the house of God. Judgment begins with us. If judgment does not begin with us, God would be unjust to judge the world. And the three judgments that every believer will face, number one, we are judged in Christ at the cross. Now, this is a judgment we all, if we're born again, we all have passed. That when Jesus was on that cross, he was judged. 
with our sin. He became our scapegoat. He became our substitute. Um, we, we, we were given life imprisonment, doomed for hell, incarceration hell. No escape. Jesus took the penalty of our sin. He became sin. He became sickness. He became every foul thing of the curse. He bore it in his own spirit. Not only did he bear it, it caused him to be separated from God. And God sentenced Jesus to hell to be punished in hell with our sin. And we were judged in him. And that's why it's so important. That's why you can't be saved unless you believe Jesus rose from the dead. You're not saved by, oh, I believe Jesus died for me. Buddha died. You know, Muhammad died. All the, no, but you have to believe he rose again. Why do you have to believe he rose again in order to be born again? Because that says that, that justice was dealt in Christ. And we rose again. It was paid in full, your sin, that you were judged in Christ, and it was paid in full. At, and when he rose, it's like sin has never been in our life. And so we were judged, and we were judged righteous. We were judged worthy uh, of, of the born-again experience, judged worthy of every blessing heaven itself enjoys. And, and this is a, a legal thing. It's, this, it's already been, you know, you ever heard the term a settlement, it's already been settled. The court has ruled. We've been, we've been ruled, sons and daughters of God, ruled worthy of heaven, ruled to be sons and daughters of God. And really, our faith ought to be on this judgment that, you know, we have been blessed. We have been healed. We have been made prosperous because of what he did, not because of something we do. And so most of our faith should be based on this first judgment. And that brought us to the second judgment that every believer will face or uh, will experience is self-judgment or judging ourselves. Being judged in Christ is something God did for us. Judging ourselves is something we do for God. Do we have chapter and verse? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32, just for review. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That is written to Christians. For when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Uh, or we, we are judged of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Again, another verse that a fail-safe God has to implement. If we don't take care of judging ourselves, it can lead us to hell. And so it has to be judged. If we don't take care of it, the Lord will take care of it. That way we're not condemned with the world. It is very plain, very clear in the Bible. And so every Christian ought to be actively judging themselves. You know, the judgment we were judging Christ is something Jesus did for us. God did for us. It is, it's already been ruled, settled. You, know, you don't need to bring that case back up. It's already been ruled. Every time sickness comes, no. I've been ruled healed. Every time, you know, lack comes. No, I've been ruled I'm rich. You know, it's been settled. You know, and the devil, you know, barks at me and says, go, go talk to, to Jesus. Go talk to God. And he doesn't get much further than that. But um, what are we to judge ourselves? Well, Hebrews 12.1 talks about it. Again, real quick for review. Heaven's standards of quick. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, 
and run the race with patience that's set before us. So it talks about we all have a race to run. And there are two things that will slow us down and keep us from running our race. What are they? Weights and sins. Or sins and weights. And it's on these two things we ought to be constantly judging ourselves. And we looked at a sin is to miss the mark. And we all ought to know what sin is. Uh, Sin is a violation of God's written commandments. But also sin is a violation of our conscience. Um, what is a weight? A weight is not a sin, but something that certainly slows you down. You know, if a long-distance runner is wearing fireman boots and a backpack, you know, they could still run, but it's going to be slow. They're not going to be able to run as, as strong as they could and as fast as they could. And so weights, and we, we took some time looking at it. What may be a weight for me may not be a weight for you. I, I shared some of my weights. Were, and you saw they weren't sin. They just, they don't help me run my race. And sometimes they're just natural things, you know, and, and, and so forth. And so, but how do you know it's a weight? You, your heart ought to know. Your heart ought to know that that isn't helping me spiritually. And uh, it, it, if your heart don't tell you, God will deal with you. It says, lay that thing down. Don't do that, you know. And uh, it, it may, may be a, a, just a pleasure of the flesh or, or something that just wastes time. And, uh, but it's slowing you down that you can give your time to other things. And so uh, we, we ought to be judging ourselves concerning these things. Now, how do we judge ourselves? First of all, acknowledge it. And it's so important to acknowledge it. Not to ignore it, not to run from it, not to pretend it's not there, not to try to sweep it under some grace doctrine and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, your heart will talk to you. The Bible, and you know, and again, you keep hearing me say that. I got to teach on conscience. You know, the Bible says this, um, that some concerning faith uh, have let go of their conscience and have gone shipwreck. And see, and that's, you know, when these hyper grace, they, they try to allow and excuse certain things and allow you to, to, to exercise faith in certain things, but they don't bring conscience into play. You know, your, your conscience uh, needs to accompany your faith. With Faith without conscience is, is shipwreck. And so, you know, if you're doing something wrong, you, you can't use your faith. And you need to judge yourself on, on that which your, your heart is talking to you on. And so, but again, review and just helping folks. And so you need to acknowledge it. Then you need to confess it. Yes, First John 1, 9 is written to Christians. If we confess our sins. Notice John the Apostle includes himself. I think he's a Christian. I think he's included in the church. We and his audience and souls are talking to us. If we confess our sins. Yes, confessing of sin is a New Testament practice. Jesus wrote to the churches of uh, Revelation, those seven churches. What did he say? Repent. Repent. So repentance and confession is still for Christians today. Then also we, we talked about if you need help. You know, especially a young believer, you're struggling with things and it seems like you, you keep acknowledging, confessing the same thing over and you slide back in. Well, you ask God for help. You go to the throne of grace. You ask grace and mercy and bless God, he will help you. And so 
judging ourselves is something really you ought to be doing daily. And the thing is, uh, there is a fail-safe. If you fail to judge yourself, a fail-safe will kick in. What is that fail-safe? The Lord will step in and take care of it. So I would advise you taking care of it. That way your life is blessed. You can use your faith and enjoy the blessing of God. Because if you don't take care of it, it opens the door to Satan and hardship. And eventually God will have to judge it. That way he can welcome you home. But then we began just real quick. Uh, we looked at, and we're going to look at it more, is the third judgment that every believer will face. We were judged in Christ. We are to continually judge ourselves. But all of us, if we're born again, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is also referred to the Bema seat. Now, this judgment is not whether you make it to heaven or not. How do we make it in heaven? By the first judgment. We were judged in Christ. And uh, the Bema seat is where we give an account of our life. And we are rewarded for our works. You know, Randy Gurr is here and says, no one talks about it. I want to raise a hand. We do all the time. And so, like I said before, you're ahead of the curve. You know, I talked about the two types of teachers. A bad teacher, Monday morning, surprises the students uh, and says, today we're having a, a surprise quiz. And they're not ready for it. The panic, the terror. And they do very poorly. A bad pastor never talks about these things. And his sheep stand before Jesus and, and realize, I never knew I had to give an account for my life. I, never, I thought I just got born again, could do anything I want, and I just come up here and, and, and you, know, you know, swing on clouds and you know, walk on streets of gold. No, no, there is a judgment seat that each and every one of us, and so a good teacher will tell them there's a test coming and then prepare them for that test all right so the bema seat we must take the law of two or three witnesses what is that if we're going to build doctrine it has to be found at least two or three and preferably three and anything over three is is firmly uh, a doctrine so uh, we're going to give you at least four four scriptures that prove that there is a judgment seat of Christ, a bema seat of Christ. And then there's certain aspects on each of these scriptures that we learn about what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Our first one, Romans 14.10, says this. Witness number one, Romans 14.10 through 12. I always like to start here. And it says this, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set not at thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one shall give account of himself to God. And if you look at that word judgment, seat of Christ, it is the word Bema. And it tells us what is going to happen at this Bema seat. Verse 12, so then every one of us 
shall give an account of himself to God. What's going to happen at the Bema Seat? If you're a Christian, every one of us, every single Christian, will have a date, an appointment with Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, something very interesting that I never saw before, you know, every time I study, you know, I just don't take old sermons, but I study and I want to get more insight. That's why the more, more I study these things, the more light I get concerning uh, the end times and, and the Bema Seat. The, the term give account jumped out at me. And so whenever a, a phrase jumps out, I get other translations. And I, I look in the Greek, and in the Greek, give account denotes three things. To give account means a narrative. We know what narrative narrative is. It's a story that will be told. Now, what story is going to be told? Not Jesus' story, but your story. So when you meet with Jesus at this appointment, beam a seat, uh, your story is going to be told. Uh, or we could say this, your life will be rehearsed between you and the Lord. And... Uh, as far as my study uh, tells me, it is a private meeting. So all of us can go, I wouldn't want anyone else to know what I did back, you know, three years ago, whatever. But anyway, a narrative will be told. Our, our, our life will be played before the master. Now, can you see right why it's important to know this? Yeah. Yeah, the Bible says knowing the coming of the Lord and our standing before Him, it's a hope that purifies. You know, to purify your life. You know, and so just knowing that how I live my life, I, I'm going to give account to Jesus. And it'll be rehearsed. And so there's some things you don't want the Lord to, to see, so you don't do them. Now, don't get me wrong, there's things under the blood. If they're under the blood, guess what? The Lord won't even remember them. He won't bring it up because they don't exist when they're under the blood. Not only a narrative, but give account means an evaluation. After he watches, or as he's watching, Jesus is going to talk to you about your life. What you did there, what you did here. Isn't that something? You weren't very excited about that. Yeah. But aren't you glad you know this? Aren't you glad? I mean, God help multitudes of Christians that go to church and they get a bunch of nothing every Sunday. And they don't, they don't know nothing. And then we stand before Jesus and say, oh my God, I did, what? Stand before you, give a car. I, uh, I, I was told this, I was told that. Now, that's why it's important. That's why Jesus caught, caught me up. Tell my people, okay, I will. Thank you, sir. Then uh, the word uh, give account means consideration. That means after narrative, the evaluation of your life, consideration for rewards or privileges. So witness number one, all of us have an appointment with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then this brought us to, to this thought, when will this take place? And this brings us to second witness. First Corinthians chapter 4, 3 through 5. It says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or man's judgment. Now the reason I go real quick into scripture, because I got to, you know, I got to squeeze in time. I go, I go long, 
you know, as it is now, if I wait for you to find these verses, you know, I'll, I'll go extra long. And so, um, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 for 5, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or man's judgment. Yeah, I judge not myself, for I know nothing by myself, yet I'm not hereby justified. He that judges me is the Lord. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsel's heart, then every man shall have praise of God. This is a great verse, and I, I teach this in, in Bible school when, when I travel, uh, because the Lord gave light to me uh, on these verses. Uh, there are three kinds of judgments found in these verses. Um, number one, the judgment other people or the opinions other people have of you. Uh, then we see self-judgment. We see Paul judging himself, and that's something we all ought to be doing. But we also see the third judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And so real quick, uh, the Corinthians were wrongly judging the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of your man's judgment. And so they had opinions. Now you, you need to know this. Your opinion is a judgment. Whenever you give your opinion, you have officially judged something. And if you gave an opinion over someone, you judge that person. And we've already seen these admonitions. Um, who art thou to judge another person? And so keep your opinions to yourself. I know in America it is, you know, news, uh, opinion polls. What is your opinion? That's a good indicator. I don't want to sin. I don't give my opinion. I have no opinion. Now, you may have one on the inside. As long as you keep it on the inside, you do not sin. But when you verbalize, when you, you get on these things, you officially sinned. And again, people need to know this. And so these, these individuals were judging the Apostle Paul. Guess what? A lot of people judge. But we got to learn from the Apostle Paul here. And he said, it's a very small thing. What do you think of me? Your opinion means very little to me. And you know what? That is scriptural. You know, when people's opinion means something to you, that means they have greater weight than God does. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. Lester Sommerall said this way, people's heads is no place for your joys, for your happiness. And so when you're concerned, oh, what are they going to think about me? What is she going to think about me? That you honor man more than God. And see, Paul, I love this. Here, Paul founded the church. God filled the Holy Ghost, God healed, you know, started church, raised them up, and is bringing them to the doctrine of God. And they're turning around and saying, Paul, you're doing this, you're doing that. And Paul says, it matters very little what you think of me. Why? He was more concerned with what the Lord thought about him. Yeah. So we are not to be concerned with what people say. But secondly, Paul judged himself. For he says in verse 4, I know nothing of myself. That means, that means and this, this is a good balance. If, you know, I said this before, if one person calls you a mule, what do you do? You ignore it. Because Mules usually call everyone else a mule, you know. People, hurting people hurt people. Weird people say weird things about you, you know. And, and so if someone says something, you know, 
Let it roll down your back like water on a duck's back. But if two people say the same thing, you know, call you a mule, what? You start looking for tracks. I mean, am I a mule? And if three people, the same thing, accuse you of the same thing, you say, you know, I better bear up. You borrow a harness and build a barn because I must be a mule. And so what Paul did, he, he took their, their, their opinions, accusation, and he judged himself before the Lord and said, is there, there any weight to that? And when Paul said, you know, I, I don't know anything of myself. I, what you say before the Lord, my, my conscience is clear before the Lord. I, I am not involved my, my motive is nothing like you think it is. And so right there, we think we're off the hook. We judged ourselves, and that's the appropriate thing to do, to judge ourselves. But Paul said something very amazing that I never saw before. Yet, I am not hereby justified. You know what that means, off the hook or correct. Even though my conscience is clear, even though I judge myself, he says, but he that judges me is the Lord. And so now he refers to the judgment seat of Christ. Meaning that only Jesus can truly see my motive in my heart. That means sometimes when we think our conscience is clear that we've done right, we may have not done right, we just haven't seen it. Only in this light can we see light. And that's why folks do things and say things and say, my heart don't bother me. That's because they don't walk closely to the Lord. Because if you walk closely to the Lord, you wouldn't be doing those things. Yeah. You know, remember my paint job. Always remember my paint job. When it was getting dark, I painted. And man, everything looked great. But when the day came, light came, who had done this? It's the same paint job. But one was, you know, I looked at it with an absent light. Then in the light, it looked differently. Same thing when you walk closely with the Lord. You have more light, and all the defects become awfully clear. And Paul, Paul realized that. He says, you know, I walk pretty close with the Lord. I judge myself, but he that judged me is the Lord. And then he said this in verse 5, judge nothing before the time. What time? Until the Lord comes. It's talking about the rapture. And what is going to happen at the rapture? That the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So right here, it tells us that the Bema seat, the judgment of Christ, will happen after the Lord comes, or what we call uh, the rapture or the coming of the Lord. So when Jesus comes, then the Lord will do the Bema seat. We'll stand before him. Now, very interesting. Three things Paul gives us insight. I mean, already insight about opinions of others, judging himself, not being justified. But he gives us three incredible insights about the Bema seat of Christ. What are they? That number one, when we stand before Jesus, you and I, all of you watching online, that Jesus, number one, will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. What in the world does that mean? That simply means that Jesus will reveal all and everything. 
things unseen by others, things unseen of ourselves. That's what Paul was referring to. I'm not hereby justified. He that judged me is the Lord. And so Paul recognized there's things in my heart. There's things about my motives that I think I'm pretty good about. But the only one that can truly judge it and bring it to light is the Lord. He that judges me. And so then he talks about the Bema seed. Says that's why I'm not concerned about what you're saying. I'm more concerned about what he says when I stand before him. And he will bring the light all the hidden things of darkness. And, uh, and we, we, we saw this. And I used to always think that was a negative. You know, me being Clark and the way I was raised, you know. Uh, you know, thinking it's always doom, gloom, agony on me. But you have to understand, there's things we do that no one else sees. And the Lord sees it. Remember Jesus said to go, go pray in your closet and your father that sees you in secret will reward you what? Openly. He's talking about that stuff too. You know, when, when you were overlooked in church and you kept your mouth shut instead of gabbing and blabbing and causing strife and offense, no one knows you were hurt and overlooked. Maybe wrong, but you kept your mouth shut before the Lord. That comes to light. You may even forgot about it. But the Lord didn't. And so, yes, the little things, if you're in sin and keeping the secret, it will come out. There's nothing that's going to be hid. But that means the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so he's going to bring to light all the hidden things. And that's what Paul's referring to. Things I can't see, he's going to bring out. So there's nothing we can do to, to hide it other than make it right on earth. You know, if we're missing it, bring the blood, do right, you know, cross our T's, dot our I's, keep our hands to ourselves, you know, that type of thing. All right. Aren't you glad? And the second thing, Paul gives us revelation. Not only everything will be exposed... Jesus will make manifest the counsels of the heart. So what does that mean? The counsel of the heart is our motives and our intentions. Not only will our works be open bare, everything we've done, but our motives, why we did what we did. And really, your motive or your heart is even more important than your works. Jesus told Brother Hagin, I will judge you quicker on spiritual sins, sins of the heart, than on physical sins. Us Pentecostal holiness, man, if you commit fornication, if you drink, you smoke, you cuss, God's going to damn you. You know, we're big on physical sins. But what's more repulsive than physical sins is spiritual sins. That means pride. You know, envy, hatred, jealousy, things that people can't see. And, and you're going to have to love this. See, someone's got to tell you. Brother Jason, I sure love you. God bless you, man. Good to see you. Outwardly, inside, man, I can't stand him. What an idiot. Thank God for Liz. 
You know, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That part's true. That part's true. But how many Christians do that all the time? And think. And they say, hallelujah, brother. Praise God, sister. Remember the Pharisees. Jesus said they honor me with their lips. But what? Their heart is far from me. Now, that, that won't be said of us because our heart is one with them. But motives are very important. Not, not just the outside. The inside. And this is where I thank God for Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin drilled us. Drilled us over and over about the heart. and About motives and about intentions. You see, doing the right thing with the wrong motive will not get you rewarded. See, he's going to expose everything, and there may be a great work, and man, that ought to be rewarded. But if your motive was not right, even though it was great work, it will not be rewarded. So works, then motive, those are the tests. Do you have chapter and verse? Oh, absolutely. Though I give my body to be burnt, I give all my money to the poor. If my motive wasn't love, it profits me nothing. I am nothing. So, I mean, you, you could be crucified for Jesus. And if your heart is, is not in impure, impure motives, I, look at me, you ought to all be like me. I can't wait. I, I, they're going to build a monument to me. Oh, you, you, you guys are backslidden compared to me. Look at me, I'm dying. I'm being burnt at the stake, crucified, whatever. You know, it won't be rewarded. The work may have been right, but the motive will be wrong. And, and see, we, motive is so important with the Lord. And this is where we, we need to judge ourselves the most, is our motive. Brother Hagin drilled us, you know, especially in ministry. That there's a lot of people that, that climb curtains, you know what climbing the curtain is? They try to get around someone to buddy up and, and, and to get, get favor and get noticed being around a person and trying to, to raise himself up by being buddy-buddy. You know, and the Lord looks at the heart. Or if, just we'll bring it down to church. Like, uh, we're very strict that you just don't come to church and all of a sudden they're singing on the platform. No matter how beautiful you are and you sing, because Lucifer can sing too. But the Bible, you know, the Bible says, let them first be proven. So we need to you come to church at least six months. If you can't be faithful to come to church, God can't use you for nothing. I said that by the prophet's office. He's talking to you. See, you can make that choice. It is important. Yes, it is. Don't, don't reason it out. That's the voice of Satan speaking to you. No, what, what, prophet's office. And... Uh, if you can't be faithful in church, you know, you, you, Paul was put in ministry because he was counted faithful. And, uh, and so people come and they want to be on platform. Well, I just want to be in platform. Well, what's your motive? Why do you want to be in platform? Why do you want to be in ministry? Well, I, I want to use my gift. I want people to see how pretty I can sing. Well, that, that is very stinky in the eyes of the Lord. Your, your motives are... are, are horrible and putrid worthy of being spewed out of the master's mouth or well bless God I'm just going I'm going to 
work my way up the system. I, re- I really don't want to be doing this. I'd rather be doing this. And I know pastor wants me to do this. So I'm just going to do this until they notice me. Well, that, that's just a beautiful Christ-like spirit. That's, that's the spirit Jesus had. Yeah, I really hate this bunch of people, but Father sent me and I got to die for you. You eyes should just go to hell, but I got to obey God. Imagine Jesus having that. No. So, motives. Really, this ought to be the, the, the number one thing we judge. And, and your motives will come to light. And the, the, the reverse side, the wrong, doing the wrong thing with the right motive gets us mercy. God knows the heart. Look at David. God said to David, he's a man after my own works. No, heart. Now, the last I checked in the Bible, David messed up. Not, not just once. Not just twice. You know, several times. Yet God looked at his heart. His tender heart. Even when he missed it, he was quick to say, oh my God, against you and you only I sinned. God said, that's a heart I can bless. Saul of Tarsus, not Saul, King Saul, the first king, when the Lord told him to do something and he didn't do it, he justified himself and blamed someone else for his actions. Ooh, that's stinky. Heart. All of that. All of that will be exposed. That's why you ought to be judging your motives. Thank God. Brother Hagen, thank you. I know you're watching. Thank God you told us about the importance of our motives. All right. Then Paul says the third thing. You know, about the first judgment, judgment, I don't care what you say. I judge myself. That doesn't get me off the hook. Only Lord, true judges can judge me. And every hidden thing will be revealed. When I stand before Jesus, every little thing, thing that I provide. And not only the work, but then he will judge the motive behind the work. Then the third thing, then shall every man have praise of God. You know what that means? The rewards come after the test of the works plus motives. It's not just the work, but the work has to pass the test of motives. If the work was right and the motive was right, then the reward will come. Then every man shall have praise of God. Whoo! Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. The two witnesses we passed. We got two more. Again, I'm trying to teach you what's on the test. When you stand before Jesus, you cannot say, I had no idea. I didn't know you. No, no. You were told. First <laughs> Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, the third witness. Are we going to stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives? Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, for, for, no other found, for other foundation can no man lay than is laid which is Christ Jesus. Now if a man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work, what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. And he himself shall be saved, yet so by fire. These verses again speak of the beam of seat. Verse 13, every man's work shall be manifest. So at the beam of seat, all of our works will be laid bare before him. Not only it tells us that our works will be judged, but it tells us how they will be judged. And he likens our work for him as building a foundation, like a house. I know before you can put framing up, roof, and decorate the house very pretty. You have to have a foundation. Without foundation, you can't build the house. So what foundation are we building on? Jesus is the foundation. He is the foundation stone. We, we know this all through Scripture. So what it's saying about building on the foundation is once you come to Jesus, what did you do with it? What did you do with your life? What did you do for the kingdom? What did you do after you're born again? Because you, you do know whatever you did before you're born again will not lay bare. It doesn't exist in heaven's kingdom. Whoever you, you were, whatever you'd done before you were Christ, it doesn't exist before Father. You're a new creation. That old man is dead. And so this is talking about that foundation. When you got born again, that's when it starts. This is your life. Not from when you're a baby, but when you were born again. Very clear. All right. And how do we build? We build with our works. This is every man's work. All right, so it's what we do after we're born again. And so we've been looking at that, our works. But it tells us how our works will be judged. Very interesting. Here it says by fire. Fire, fire. Someone ought to do it like a dream works. Madagascar, was it? The, the giraffe. Fire, fire. The rest of you, the Bible says, they that are ignorant, be ignorant still. How many know what I was talking about? Fire. Yeah, see, see, you guys, you guys are with it. You studied, no doubt. <laughs> All right. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's our works. That's why works are important. Jesus and the seven churches of Revelation, I know your works. See, what is it talking about? That is a pre He's talking about the Bema seed. I know your works. Our works will be judged. Our works are important. Our man's work shall be manifest. The day shall declare it. That day is always a reference for the coming Lord. And so again, another, another reference that this beam of seat will come after the day of the Lord or the start of the rapture. And it says, it will reveal it by fire and the fire shall try every man's work with sword it is. So the judgment... Is like fire, and the fire is going to test the quality of our works. And he gives us an example. Just like wood, hay, and stubble, you put them in the fire, it gets burnt up, nothing left but ash. But you take gold, silver, and precious stones, you pass it through the fire, guess what? It remains. And not only does it remain, it increases in value. And, and so this is another way of saying that all of our works will be made manifest and our motives will be judged. 
And here he's likened to fire with natural elements. That his judgment is like fire. That our works and our motives will pass through the fire. And it's only what remains that can be rewarded. Now, is this a literal fire? No, of course not. Symbolic. His judgment. His revealing everything and seeing everything and judging our works. He is saying that is like substance being brought to the fire. It will test it. So uh, the Lord will test our hearts and our works. It says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God, which is Jesus, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, dividing, sunder, soul, and spirit, joints, and marrow, and the discerner. And this is interesting, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He discerns, he sees what's in the heart. Neither is any creature that is not manifest in sight, but all things are naked, open to the eyes of whom we have to do or give account. Again, that's fire. That word discern, to see clearly, judge accurately. And so he's again showing it's, it's like fire. Your works and your motives will pass through his discerning eye, just like natural elements pass through fire. Nothing, nothing will be hid. It's when our motives are pure and our works are pure, then we are rewarded. Not, and again, he's saying, wood, hay, and stubble. That, that can denote doing your own thing, living your own life, living carelessly, being your own person, not building on your life in Christ. Now, so many things, and my time is slipping away, and I'm just, I think we're only on witness three I at least want to get to witness four maybe I can do it maybe I can crunch other points again confirms the beam of seat will take place after the rapture every man's work shall be manifested they shall declare it and it also confirms that the beam of seat is not whether you get into heaven or not verse 15 if any man's work be burnt he shall suffer loss but himself shall be saved, yet so by fire. Do you see that? So when, it's, when we stand before him, it's like fire. Even if we offer wood, hay, and stubble, and there's nothing left, we're still saved. We're still going to heaven. Why? We were judged in Christ. This judgment seat is not whether you get to heaven or not. It is the rewards for your work. Now, again, it's so important you hear this stuff because people say your good works, your good works, your good works. Good works without motives don't qualify. You have to have a good motive. You have to have heart. Now, how many give me five more minutes? I have five, and I'll, and I'll take your five. There's something that as I was studying this that the Holy Ghost impressed me to interject. Romans 11.29 says this, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What does that mean? If God calls you to do something or has gifted you in a certain way, He never takes it back. He'll eventually judge you if you don't use it or misuse it, but He'll never take it back. Just like our salvation, He never takes our salvation back. And so we've been talking about our works and building, but this comes into play, that if God gifted us, and he's gifted all of us, 
and called us to do something, that's, that's going to be brought before the table. You know, it's just not that, you know, I give in the offering and I'm on my neighbor's yard and that's all that's going to happen. No, the gifts and calling of God will be judged. What God called you to do? What did he gifted you? How did you use your gifts for his kingdom? He doesn't take it back, but judgment will be made on what we did with them. Now, I don't have time, but Jesus taught this all the time. You ever hear the parable of the talents? One I gave five, one I gave two, and one I gave one, and he went away for a far city, came back, and he reckoned with his servants. And the five was, did something with his gifts and talents? He said, well done. The two did something with his talents? Well done. The one hid in a napkin, did his own thing, lived his own life. Didn't get a very good grade on the report card. But of course, in context, he's talking the Jews cast out in darkness. He doesn't cast them out in darkness. But we can guarantee that is wood, hay, and stubble. Not doing anything, it doesn't pass, doesn't get rewarded. And so, you have to understand all of us have treasure. All of us have gifts and callings in us. There's not one of us that's not gift of Lord or called to do something. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure and earthen vessels. We all have treasure. Every one of you has a piece of Jesus in them. You have Christ in you, but there is a gift, there is a talent that Christ himself possessed that is in every one of us. Every one of us. And see, the devil do be, yeah, I'm on talent, I don't, that's, that's a lie. You, you have a gift of God. You have something that Christ possessed. And it's a treasure now, the Bible says in creation, you can understand the handiwork of God. I have never, unless you're on a beach or something, someone else, but, you know, gold rings and gold bracelets aren't naturally found in the earth. They're in raw form. Gold is in raw form. Diamonds and jewels are in raw form. And so what you have to do, even though it's there, it's of great value, you have to dig, dig for them, discover them, and develop them. Same thing with your gifts you got to find out what you're called for, what, what's on the inside of there. And not only acknowledge it, but begin to delf, de- develop it and train and use it for the glory of God. Yeah. Paul said, give yourself wholly to it, that your profiting may be, appear to all. And there, there's so much I can say, but I'm closing into my five minutes, and I'm going to start tapping into your five minutes. All right. So we all have something. These things will be judged. Number two, willingness must accompany our obedience to the Lord. Now you need to see this. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. Again, the Holy Ghost interrupted and say, you need to, you need to, you kept you know, I kept putting, no, no, you need to, no, maybe someone, no, he kept, you need to, all right, all right, okay, okay. First Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
If I do this thing willingly, I have a reward against my will. A dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul was called to preach the gospel. He was gifted to preach the gospel. The gifts and callings of God are what? Without repentance. Right? And Paul here gives us three scenarios that we can do with our gifts and callings. Would you like to know them? A, or number one, you bury it in a napkin. You don't do anything with it. You don't obey the Lord. Okay? What happens when you don't do what God calls you to do? Paul uses the word, woe be unto me. You know woe? That means judgment. That means misery. That means destruction. That means hardship. That means bad things. That means open door to the curse. All right. Paul said that, whoa. See, God doesn't revoke it, but Paul said, no, I don't want to do what you said. Paul said, woe unto me if I don't do what God says. You don't hear much preaching about that. You can do whatever you want. You're a Christian. No, you you don't have a right to do what you want. Woe unto you if you do what you want. And Paul said, whoa. Woe, it doesn't sound like something you want to claim and quote and believe for. Woe means misery. misery. You study, study history of men and women of God that were called, and when they didn't obey, woe came. I mean, they, they lost spouses, they lost children, they got sick. And it isn't God. No, when, when God can't protect you in disobedience, and the devil will eat your lunch. And see, Paul knew that. If I don't obey God, woe. I have to obey God because woe follows me. This is in the Bible. I bet you haven't heard that on public TV. <laughs> the whole Bible is true. Okay. Whoa. So you can bury what God called you to do in a napkin, disobey him. We, we know that that doesn't go well. Whoa. Remember the one telling man? Could we say whoa? Okay. Disobedience brings sorrow and eventual judgment. But there's a second scenario. We close door number one. We don't want to do door number one. But door number two is you do it because you have to. Woe is following me. And I don't want to step into woe. So I better do it. Just to keep judgment off of me. Now that's great. Guess what? If you obey God, woe can't touch you. You keep woe away. You keep the curse away. Woe can't touch you if you obey. But if you do it, you're obedient and you're not willing, you don't get rewarded for it. In the earth, you keep woe away. When you stand before Jesus, there's nothing he can give you because you simply did what he told. You offered him nothing. Which brings the third scenario. You obey because you want to. It's when you're willing you're rewarded. And the fire is going to bring this out. See, obeying just to keep wool off, then the motive in the heart will be exposed. 
You didn't do it willingly. Can't reward you. Would Paul say this? If I do this thing willingly, then there's a reward. Either way, I got to do it. I got to obey people off of me. But why not just get it all and get rewarded in my obedience? Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good land. Remember Brother Hagin? He was struggling financially. He was obeying the Lord. He told him to leave his church and go out in the field. And he, he went down financially. He was suffering. His children were suffering. Lack of food, lack of clothes. And he presented the Lord and said, Lord, you said in your word if, in Isaiah 119, if I'm willing to be out the good land, and man, I'm not eating the good land. Just kept telling every, all the woe that's happening to him. You know what the Lord said to him? You don't qualify. What do you mean I don't qualify? Yes, you're obedient, but you haven't been willing. Willing and obedient. And, and of course, Brother Hagin says, you know, I got willing in a second. I am now willing. Yes, sir. Let's do this. Yeah. And so that's a great illustration. It doesn't take weeks of heart probing to make yourself. Well, you could just say, bless God, I step over the line. I'm willing right now. And he qualified. Then he began to prosper. God gave him revelation and he became a very blessed man. Brother Hagin could have not obeyed God. Whoa. He was obeying God, but wasn't willing. Wasn't eating the good land. But when he was willing and obedient, that's when we eat the good land. That's where we're rewarded. Oh, Jesus. All right. How many hands did I have? Okay. Five more. I don't think, am I, I'm not preaching next week, am I? No. So, uh, all right. So, I, I got another hour, easily. Yes. Now, as a prophet of God, I have to obey God. All right. We must understand substitutes are not accepted. And what am I talking about? 1 Samuel 15, 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Again, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. This needs to be, need to be said throughout the whole body of Christ. 1 Samuel, chapter 15, 21. And Samuel said, Samuel's the prophet, speaking to King Saul, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better in sacrifice than to har- and to hearken than the fat of lambs. Now again, context. God told King Saul to do something. King Saul didn't do what God said because he thought he had a better plan. He took part. Now, now, God, we need to do it this way. I think this is more preferred. And, and King Saul did something different than what God said. And because he didn't obey the Lord, he brought extra offerings in the offering 
bucket. He substituted a sacrifice for obedience, and the Lord didn't accept it. Why do we say? Because there's people that are called of God. God's told them to do something, and they're doing something else. And maybe they're called to the ministry and said, Lord, I'll go into business and I'll fund my pastor. I'll fund the church. I'll give king. The Lord has no delight in that. And he will not reward that. He does not accept that. The Lord, believe it or not, in the Bible, the Lord only accepts obedience. He doesn't accept sacrifice. Do an extra thing to make up the, the thing that you're not obeying the Lord in. Substitutes are disobedience. Now, the very next verse is very heavy, but it's true. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness as, as iniquity and idolatry. What do you call substituting, doing your own thing? That's rebellion. Being stubborn, being headstrong, when God's dealing with you and you just, you defy that, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, it's not a very pretty report the Lord has to say about that. Again, I didn't choose to say this, but I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing, Father, I'm willing, I'm willing. He calls substitute rebellion stubbornness. And his substitute costed him his kingdom. Substitutes would disqualify us from the rewards of obedience. Why shouldn't he be saying a lot of people substitute? Our job is to obey God. Whatever he says, we do. We, we don't come up with a plan B, C, well, I like it better this way. No, what the Lord tells us to do, what God calls us to do, we do it. We keep woe away from us. Substitutes will cause woe. King Saul, your substitute caused woe. And again, I don't think I'm speaking per se our church, because you guys are so well taught by me, but I am dealing with things out there. You got to keep woe away. How to keep woe away? You obey. You keep substitutes away. You obey, you keep woe away, and you make a hard adjustment, you become willing, whatever he says. <laughs> Lord, here am I. I'm your handmaiden. I'm your, I'm your, your servant. I just do what you say, and I do it with joy. And great rewards will come your way. All right. I still didn't get the beam of seat finished. But we had to take care of kingdom business. So next time, we're going to finish up the beam of seat. Because there's, there's one more witness we need to look at. And because you have endured three judgments, we're going to look at the rewards awaiting for us. The rewards. The Bible says the sufferings of this time are not worthy to compare it. Because sometimes it's, it's suffering to obey. Suffering to lay down your plan and, and to do his plan. 
You know, I live in Western New York where the sun never shines. People call that place hell. I have in my app Orlando, Florida. It's always sunny in Orlando. And when it's rainy, it's 70 or 80 degrees. But I'm here. And I'm willing to be here. I'm willing to go to Alaska, go to Antarctica. Because if I'm ever unwilling, my life in here would be vain. And so... The rewards, it's going to be worth it. The prize, we're going to march on, make the right decision, because there's a reward waiting. And throughout all eternity, everyone will know what we did for the Master. And we'll look at those things. Are you helped? Yay, yay, yay. Now, Lord, I, I preached pretty long, but... Uh, Let's just bow our heads. And those that are watching as well, bow your heads. And if there's any correction, any confession, go ahead and make it. Again, these things may be strong and sharp, but it's love that reaches out. It's love that's trying to, to warn and, and to help. And so just go ahead and make those corrections. You don't need to raise your hand. This is between you and Lord. And those that you're watching, just, just make those corrections. And, and if you're struggling, just tell the Lord, I'm struggling with this. Help me. Sometimes the most simple faith prayer is, Lord, help me. And he'll honor that. He'll honor that and help you and strengthen you to obey him. Thank you, Lord Jesus.